Missed the show? No problem. On point and on the podcast. Damning allegations from a former donor of We Charity, who's now calling for the RCMP to investigate what he alleges is a fraud using his dead child, his gut-wrenching story, and his damning statements. We'll talk about language and how it matters, and we'll talk about the cost of COVID fear-mongering and what it's doing with the mental health impacts and the spike we're seeing in these health issues. And 15 years later, Caledonia is still in the grips of a standoff that keeps getting kicked down the road. What is the solution? Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Are you listening? It came to my attention over the weekend that a communication product put out by Peel Public Health contained an error. Uh, This product has uh, since been removed and is currently being revised. The product does not state our uh, position in respect of uh, isolation of children. Uh, There are recommendations on our website with a recognition that children cannot self-isolate and they do need to self-isolate with uh, a parent or guardian. Uh, It is important that these guidelines were done with the best intentions with a recognition that household transmission does continue to be a significant source of spread in our community. And to the extent that we can balance the risk of transmission, uh, certainly with the emotional and physical needs of children, uh, that was where we were trying to go. But the product has been removed and is being revised. Mm-hmm. A mistake or just that Peel Health got called out on some very nutty isolation policy. Well, it is the one year anniversary of the day that COVID put us into one of our many first lockdowns. And I ask, you know, what have we learned? And I'd say, not much. Not after the debacle we've been watching for the last couple of days. But yeah, it was one year ago today that everything got turned upside down, not for the better. We all got locked into this isolation. And 12 you know, months later, I just don't feel like these experts have learned anything. Because we're still using lockdowns as strategy, not as a last resort. You know, Toronto moving into month number four of lockdown measures. Muskoka, Simcoe County, heading back into lockdown. And uh, over the weekend I was reading, and I don't know if you saw this, but New Zealand has locked down the whole country for one case. One case. One case. And I'm like, is this is this like what we have to look forward to? Because that's just nuts. Because we're never, ever getting to zero cases of COVID. Ever. So what, we like locking down every time it flares up? Or maybe at some point will these experts learn to live you know, with this, like every other coronavirus we now live with? But what Peel is now calling a mistake does not add up. It's pretty clear to me that they're in uh, full-on damage control. And if you don't know the story, over the uh, weekend, Peel's public health issued these insane guidelines telling parents that children under 10 like little ones, including three- and four-year-olds, must be isolated for two weeks if they may have, not did, may have come into contact with someone who's tested positive for COVID. Not that they have it, but may have come into contact with someone who might have it. And so you're supposed to let your kids under 10, you know, eat, drink, be locked away in isolation for 14 days. Like, I'm reading this going, are, are these people crazy? And there must have been a lot of blowback because now, of course, saying, oh, no, 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 that was just a mistake. Well, sorry, that, that's a pretty big mistake. And that doesn't just happen because that would mean 
No one, not one person at Peel Health didn't proofread the glossy and very detailed guidelines. No one caught the mistake. And then when you start to read through, as we have through the newsroom, of the provincial recommendations, the policy is right in there. It's just that these guys enacted it. And so, of course, Dr. Yaffe today was asked about it. And, well, this is what her, her answer was. I mean, we know that if somebody uh, may have COVID-19 or they've been a close contact of somebody from with COVID-19, uh, we would like them to be isolated for up to 14 days, which is the uh, incubate, maximum incubation period, because they may develop the infection and become infectious to others. However, we obviously understand that you can't leave a child alone in a room for that period of time. Um, and mm. so you have to use basically common sense. Mm. Well, apparently Peel does not have common sense. And apparently, I think we're being lied to, because I literally just spoke to a mother who tells me that in December, her 11-year-old daughter, a grade 6 student in the Toronto board, was told that she'd have to isolate alone for two weeks because someone may have potentially come into contact with someone in the class. Now, thankfully, this mom had the brains not to lock her child away, and good for her, because then Toronto Health called two days later and said, oh, yeah, no, this is not a concern. Good Lord. What genius at the science table thinks it is in any child's interest to be locked up alone by themselves with no human contact for two weeks? Like, honestly. And we are talking children who have no symptoms at all. I mean, did they actually expect a five and a six-year-old to, what, change their own pull-ups? You know, put themselves to bed day after day? Uh, it's nuts. Any parent who has a little kid knows that they cling to you like a moth to a flame. So policy, even remotely close to this, I think is lunacy, which is why I think public health is now in damage control. But they are saying now, well, you should still isolate with one caregiver for two weeks. And the same policy then allows others in the house to go to work. I mean, hello? I, I can't circle that square. It doesn't make much sense. But parent or not, I mean, two weeks of isolation, I think, is abuse. And frankly, as a parent, I would take my chances nurturing my child rather than alienating in them and, you know, putting damage in them for life. Because this is not backed by science. Children are not getting covid And we already quarantine those who come into contact. We already do take precautions. So you're just left wondering, at what point has public health lost all perspective? And I would say, what, months ago, when it became clear that uh, isolation and lockdowns were going to be their never-ending strategy, no matter who gets destroyed by that, and now we know that includes children. Stay with us. Alex Pearson, On Point, on Global News Radio. I have filed a fraud investigation with the United States Internal Revenue Service calling for We Charities and Free the Children to be investigated for fraud in the United States. Today, I have a call out to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to seize all records at We Charities and Free the Children property for scrutiny that is owed to tens of thousands of children all over planet Earth who trusted this organization and its promises to build brick by brick schools through their fundraising efforts. I'm calling on Craig Kilberger and Mark Kilberger and the entire Free to Children and We Charities board stacked with Kilberger allies to step down 
and step down immediately. That includes David Stillman. That is the voice of Reed Cowan, and he wants more than answers. And um, I think what he did was pretty heroic, hence the music. But uh, he is asking for an investigation into money raised for Wee's Free the Children. He believes and he claims did not go where he was told. He is a former, uh, very supportive Wee charity donor who testified at the Ethics Committee on Friday. He's also an investigative reporter down in the United States whose story is extremely tragic. And then when you put it all together, it sounds pretty revolting. Because he put out this very damning statement over the weekend that lays out what he believes is nothing short of fraud. And he alleges that he raised millions for Wee's Free the Children, only to have a plaque in his son name, Wesley, uh, taken down without his knowledge and replaced with another name. So he is demanding that the IRS and RCMP investigate, and he's asking uh, for them to trace and track down millions of dollars that uh, he believes did not go where they were, uh, you know, intended. Now, these are allegations that are not proved. Uh, we Charity is denying all of this. Nonetheless, he is speaking, and I don't think he's going to be quiet. Kate Bahan, Managing Director of Charity Intelligence Canada, thank you so much for joining me. And um, it, it's a pretty stunning piece of, of um, audio and the claims being made. Yeah, I, I think the politicians on Friday when, when Reed Cowan's first statement was to the Ethics Committee had never heard anything like that in a parliamentary committee. It was uh, on your seat, so emotional, and such detail, such granularity in, in, in his experience that just it, it replicated what so many people have said over the years, but he says that he has the evidence. As you say, he's an Emmy Award-winning investigative journalist whose son died in a tragic climbing frame accident. And he thought about, you know, how can I turn my pain into purpose? He thought about creating his own charity. He'd seen We Charity on the Oprah show. He reached out to We Charity. He explained who he was. He explained that he's a high-profile anchorman in Utah and, um, and, you know, he's got very powerful billionaire connections. And Dalal Al-Wahidi, who is the um, CEO of We Charity, said, don't start your own charity, fundraise for us, have your supporters mail us the checks, and we will give them a complete accounting. And so he raised, you know, there was this big, back then in 2007, we Charities campaign was build a brick, and this was in the States, and it was also in Canada. And they were saying for you know $12,000 U.S., if you raise that amount of money, we will build a school in Kenya. And so he went to Kenya, and he was there for the opening of the school in the name mm -hmm. of his child. Mm -hmm. And then to find Yeah, there's out, video of him on the ground, and he was so proud, and he presented this to the children because he knew that this, he said, I'm giving you a piece of my child. I mean, it was, ve it was to the core uh, of yep. his pain. And, and he was so impressed. He then came back to America. He did TED Talks. He fundraised for, for, for We Charity. And he, I mean, it's likely that he brought in millions of dollars to We Charity to, to, to sort of go out and build, and build schools in Kenya. And so for him to read in December this report in the U.S., because here in mm -hmm. Canada, we've been in the headlines since, 
since July. America, Americans have not been following these developments. And yeah. America is the engine. $30 million a year comes in from America into Canada, into We Charity. So you can shut down We Charity Canada, and it's the, it's the American engine that's going to keep it going. So he read a report in December that it was an inside joke at We Charity staff that the plaques should be Velcroed because they were swapping them out so often. And he looked into it. And sure enough, the school that he had fundraised for that had his son, Wesley Cowan's name on, had been swapped out, he says, two years after. So in 2009. So all the time he was fundraising uh, and telling people about how great We Charity was, he was not aware that, that the schools he was fundraising for. Um, anyway, anyway, he just raises so many. Where did the money go? How many yeah. schools were built? I mean, there were these marketing claims. What happened to the money? And the math just doesn't add up. The numbers don't add up. And no, they don't. These are uh, well, especially since allegations. He, he, they are serious. I mean, Charlie Angus has now said that he's written the CRA and RCMP to support the investigation. He, he, he claims he raised enough money to build 24 schools. So he's wondering, why, why was I told only four were built? And he also alleges, and this is where it gets into the really revolting, like, you know, the allegations that the Kilbergers were fundraising off of his little boy, um, which, if true, is disgraceful. Um, and at no point had they even told him that the plaque on the school didn't bear his child's name. And, and Kate, you know, people in this country have turned away from this story like it's over. And for whatever reason... Um, they don't seem to want to act on this, but you can't watch that 17-minute video that he put out over the weekend. And ign I don't see how these allegations can can be simply ignored. And there's such it's a pattern here, Alex. I mean, so if you watch CBC's Fifth Estate that came out in, in February, Mark Kelly reported that many donors yeah. were being told that they had funded the same water well. And, and, and mm -hmm. you could see, I mean, it was right there. I mean, people use the Internet. People use their websites. Unilever posts up, you know, $200,000, and this is our water well in, in Kenya. And the exact same water well was posted by UBC student groups and a group out of Whistler, BC. So you have three different groups of donors, each believing and being told that they bought the same Oh, that, that, that they donated and the money went to the same water well. And then we responded mm -hmm. in February to the CBC almost challenging them. Is there a single donor who was confused and felt that we charity misrepresented information? Yeah. 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 And, and the outlook. Read count. Yeah. And, and well, you know, and the allegations have yet to be proved. So we have to be clear in saying that the charity denies it was, quote, double funding. Um, but Mr. Cowan is asking celebrities to speak up. He is asking donors to come forward and ask questions. I mean, he's going to need support on this. But there's no question um, with the presence that this charity has had in this country and around the world and the influence that this charity has had on children around the world who, you know, all they wanted to do was raise money for a good cause and, and do good. Um, and they're owed an explanation. If you ask Mr. Cowan, he says they're owed an explanation if their money didn't go to what they were told it was going to. It goes to 
part of a very similar race. Um, you, you know that it's... So we're having a bit of digital. You're, you're digitizing, Kate. If you can move your, uh, if you can walk around the room twice and put pipe cleaner, you're you're just digitizing there for us. All right, do we have you? No. Sat. Oh, there we go. No, we're not going to get the connection back with Kate, unfortunately. Um, Kate Bayhan has uh, done an incredible amount of work with Charity Intelligence. She has been raising the alarms on this particular issue for months and also testified at this ethics committee. But, um, you know, if donors have any questions, they certainly should reach out to Charity Intelligence. Uh, Charlie Angus saying tonight um, that he is, in fact, calling and supporting for an investigation. If you haven't seen this particular statement that he has put out, you can go to my Twitter. I have posted it. It is 17 minutes. That is a must-watch. Alex Pearson AMP, at Alex Pearson AMP, if you haven't said it. And you can judge for yourself whether you think this... uh, smells okay or if it needs to be looked into, but uh, it raises some very, very troubling questions. And uh, I should add that both Mark and um, Craig Kilberger will be testifying again on March 8 at the Ethics Committee because there are still too many questions out there that need to be answered. Whether that happens, we don't know, but we will cover that. And again, they have uh, denied any of this as truth. So don't worry, we'll stay on this. You're listening to Global News Radio. I've never been as concerned as I am now. You might recall that day that was Dr. Davila, February 10th, putting the fear of God into people, declaring she's never been more concerned than she was about the threat of COVID. And yet here we are weeks later. Case numbers are pretty much the same as they were then. And, I, you know, I found that statement to be irresponsible, especially for someone in charge. I just I felt it was fear mongering. It further fueled a lot of anxiety that we are seeing in record numbers. Um, And it didn't help. And I was just reading this tragic story of a 16-year-old girl on the East Coast who killed herself over the weekend, in part, as her parents said, because of the isolation and the restrictions that have rid of structure that she and other teenagers and kids need in their life. And sadly, you know, her headline is not isolated. We've been hearing of the costs of these lockdowns for months. And so, you know what? Language and leadership of these experts matters. Let me bring in Dr. Mark Berber, who is a psychiatrist at Markham Stouffville Hospital, assistant professor at Queen's University and the University of Toronto. Good to have you. Hi, Alex. You actually reached out to me because, you know, you were alarmed. I think that's a fair way to describe it, at the language and what you are hearing um, in the media and by those in charge of trying to get us out of this thing. It's been a year of this. Yes, I was disturbed by the language. Because COVID-19 is already a pretty, you know, serious illness affecting the elderly mainly. But I have found that the way um, people speak about it on the media, on the mainstream media especially, is very fear-provoking. And I was just mm-hmm. alarmed that the language they used was making people more anxious than they needed to be, more frightened than they needed to be. For example, we had variations coming out of various parts of the world with them. With the viruses, as viruses do, they they have variations. It's normal. We see it with all the other viruses. But the way it was being talked about on the media, they used terms like mutants and viral mutants coming out. They they were doing all they could to scare the living daylights out of anyone listening to the newscast. 
And that's why I think, you know, a lot of people just have tuned out and gone into kind of their own isolation because they just don't want to hear about it anymore. It, t- it takes a lot. I mean, what are you hearing without obviously exposing uh, your clients or, or trust of a client? But what are you hearing from, from people that you treat? Well, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of depression. It has become worse. There's a lot of anxiety. It is getting worse. And people who are not attending to this have their heads in the sand. You mentioned earlier about the links between depression and loneliness. Um, It's tremendous. There are many, many medical studies in very, very reputable journals showing the direct link between loneliness, isolation, depression. And depression and isolation leads to you know, suicide. And now we have the economic fallout coming down the road. This is going to be a terrible combination for mental health, a disaster. I believe that the mental health disaster that we're going to see will far outweigh and outstrip the damage that is going to be caused by the COVID-19 virus. So you don't think that we have seen uh, the worst, certainly when it comes to mental health, because we've certainly heard it. We've reported the data, but you don't think we've seen the worst of it? Not at all. Not even close. Because I think what's going to happen is when the camouflage of these furloughs and CRB payments is taken away and the, real, the reality is exposed and the people have to go out and get a job again and they have to earn money again and they go back to the businesses that they worked for before and the businesses are gone, what happens then? Then we are going mm. to see a tsunami of economic fallout, which will be followed by depression, anxiety, hopelessness and no We have not seen the worst of it, Alex. And certainly, I mean, I I speak to enough businesses, uh, certainly in the Toronto area, GTA, who have suffered the uh, uh, and really had to endure the longest of the lockdowns, which have now stretched into months. And it's not just frustration. It's now a sense of hopelessness that whatever they've been fighting to hold on to is going to be gone because there's no pathway uh, back to profit. And, you know, when you talk about businesses, people don't seem to, not all everybody, but a lot of people just say, well, you know, they, they can rebuild a business, but they don't really equate business with people. I think the big problem is that the government agencies have been, and the medical advisors have been, look, have been looking at this COVID pandemic as if they're looking through a drinking straw. They're looking to, through a drinking straw and only looking at one thing, one minute thing. It's pretty important, but it's still only a small part of the picture. So meanwhile, all this collateral damage has gone on. The destruction of businesses, the destruction of lives, the hopelessness of kids in school. And then suddenly they're going to have to, the awakening is coming. The awakening is on its way. And that's why they've got to really hurry up and get these vaccines out there and open up the economies because it's already too late. Let's face yeah. it, it is already too late, but it's got to be done fast, fast, fast. And, you know, I hear them talking about, oh, we've got to have an, another wave coming. I think that's why you say people are tuning out. Enough of the wave talk, enough of the mutant talk. Let's get the people back to work, get them vaccinated, protect the elderly and get the get the world going again. That's what we need to do. Yeah, you know, Peel got itself into trouble and backtracked on it when they put out guidelines saying that children who have been exposed don't have COVID, but just have been around someone, be locked up in their room for two weeks. That was anyone under the age of 10. 
which I think got them a lot of blowback because it was such an absurd, if not inhumane, as if a three or four year old is going to take care of themselves for two weeks without any human touch. And now they're saying, well, well, you know, we're just saying, okay, even with one caregiver, they can be isolated for two weeks. If I isolated myself with my son for two weeks, not only would I lose my mind, but I know he would lose his mind because as much as he loves me, children who are not showing that they're getting this illness it can't be locked up for two weeks. I mean, that is, uh, you know, doing a damage, I think, that will stay with them for life. And so these policies that are being put out may sound like they're smart, but I think they're doing more damage. The policies are all based on this ridiculous, uninformative, inaccurate, misleading test called the PCR test. The PCR test, this polymerase chain reaction test, is not fit for purpose. It was never invented or created by Dr. Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for inventing it. It was never designed to do this type of testing. Um, mm -hmm. PCR testing is part of the problem. There was just um, a successful lawsuit in Lisbon, in Portugal, where they sued successfully the government for using these PR set tests and locking people up. They were actually locking tourists from Germany up in, in Portugal. The PCR test has to stop. This mass testing, which is very expensive, of healthy people is ridiculous. PCR test, if they say it's positive, does not mean in any way that that patient or person has an infectious virus. It means they may have had a, an infection, an asymptomatic infection, two months earlier. The PCR testing is a major part of the problem. It's misleading the government. We have to stop all this multiple PCR testing. Without stopping this PCR testing, and it has been called a PCR pandemic by some, we'll never get away from this cycle. But there's also the strategy, and I'm concerned because New Zealand over the weekend shut down the entire country over one COVID case, to which I was like, is this, are we, are we insane now? I mean, if we're going to shut down entire economies for one case, um, which seems to be the strategy of choice here in this country, certainly in the GTA, we will never be open again. We cannot get to zero cases. It would be literally impossible, even if vaccinated. It's impossible to get to zero cases of COVID. COVID is now here to stay. We already had, before COVID came, four coronaviruses in circulation in Canada that were responsible for around 20% of seasonal flus. If in the past we had always tested for these other coronaviruses, we would have seen there were cases of these all the time. I'm telling you, Alex, we have to stop all this case finding. It's, it's ridiculous now. If you want to do those testings, you do it in very, very special circumstances. For example, nursing home attendants, people mm -hmm. coming into hospitals, looking after sick patients. But this idea of people lining up to have PCR tests is absolutely for the birds and should stop. We will never have zero COVID. We've got to learn to live with the disease. We've got to protect the elderly and the vulnerable, get people vaccinated and stop this mass industrialized PCR testing. It's not the way to go. Nonetheless, uh, hopefully someone in charge will hear your words and listen to them because there are a lot of people like you now speaking out, thankfully. But the uh, question is, are any of them listening? I appreciate your time very much. I know you're busy these days. Thanks, Alex. That is Dr. Mark Berber. There you go. And there is a growing voice in the medical community who say exactly what he does when it comes to lockdowns and these measures taken that are so draconian, but they ignore all the collateral damage, including the destructive mental health 
issues that we are seeing and obviously going to see more of. Stay with us here, Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio. Over the weekend, Sunday to be exact, we marked another anniversary. This one, the 15th year since the town of Caledonia found itself in the grips of a standoff between certain activist indigenous groups and land developers at the infamous Douglas Creeks estate. And a standoff that has calmed over the years, but certainly has never really ended. And over the weekend, barricades did come down from the last standoff, uh, which was at a different subdivision project that heated up last July. But the tensions will flare up again because this is an issue that's never actually been solved and no one has really stood up against the unrest, which has left really the people of Caledonia living in this never-ending series of unknowns of what might be coming next. MPP Toby Barrett, of course, is the local there and he knows that uh, area better than anywhere. He joins me now. Good to have you, sir. Yes, uh, good to be here. Thank you. You know, it's quiet now, um, but safe to say it it won't last. I mean, is is Caledonia a forgotten town? Well, uh, uh, truly forgotten, and you you would almost think over 15 years certain uh, things have been intentionally covered up. I know there's there's the phrase, the Caledonia cover-up, and uh, it is regrettable, and we reflect on... uh, you know, 15 years almost to the day that this first happened. What could have been done 15 years ago to mm-hmm. essentially prevent 15 years of intimidation and violence, road blockades? Um, it, it's not over. We have two subdivisions in Caledonia that remain occupied. The one subdivision, Douglas Creek Estates, has been illegally occupied since uh, February 28, 2006. Yeah, and, and the Liberal government under McGuinty, I mean, they, they made it go away by paying for it to go away, but that didn't solve the issue. What it did was throw money at it, but again, it led to, I think, almost an enabling um, uh, of certain activist groups, uh, you know, who I don't think speak for all indigenous groups to, to keep the fight going. And there may be legitimate claims in certain cases, but certainly those who live in Caledonia, um, you know, they never know when, you know, maybe they when they go out that the roadway, the main roadway will be closed down when barricades will be uh, put up or when a plot of their land might, might be taken over. And that's just a reality and has been for almost two decades. You know, down our way, rural, small town, Ontario, we don't ask for much from government, really, and particularly in Caledonia. All we ask for is peace, order, and good government. We understand, we all agree on guidelines, on laws. That's really the success of our way of life. And when, when laws are allowed to be ignored or let alone uh, when the law is almost intentionally put in the hands of local people, um, it it never ends well. No, because it never ends. And and for the last, um, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind, and certainly in COVID, everything is out of sight and out of mind. But for the last, you know, year, certainly since last July, Caledonia has been dealing with this latest protest, which uh, stopped construction at the Mackenzie Meadows subdivision, and they renamed it the 1492 Land Back Lane. And, And all sorts of things have happened, including, you know, backhoes being put across the road to stop traffic. But major roadways have been shut down, and this protest has really kind of consume the area 
you know, I, I think what has now developed into the symbol of these uh, road blockades adjacent to these occupied subdivisions is a, um, a school bus that was stolen from a church parking lot. It was dragged across to the road and inserted in a trench that was dug by an illegal, uh, well, a stolen excavator, essentially. That's mm-hmm. the, now the symbol of Caledonia and why people would support that kind of activity. It's. Uh, I, I think everybody's ashamed of what's gone on, particularly in the last four months. The roads uh, are open now after four months. The CN rail line down to the gigantic uh, Stelco steel mill and the Imperial oil refinery will uh, very soon be open to, uh, to that kind of uh, transportation. But to allow the main thoroughfare of a, a small town in Ontario to be blocked by a stolen school bus for four months. I, 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 I don't know. I haven't seen this kind of stuff uh, anywhere else, really. And there is a new class action lawsuit, and that was prepared by a, a local lawyer uh, on behalf of Caledonia business owners um, and residents, and, and they're seeking an unspecified amount of, of damages. Uh, and, and obviously the government of the day, the government you're involved in, is in, is named in it, senior OPP management named in it, and they're talking about the theft and damages caused by protesters who they you know believe have been ignored. And, and so... Ha- you know, where does this go? Do we have to go into the courts again to try to settle something that really needs a solution and not to be kicked down uh, the road again. Yes, there is. Well, there's a, a number of precedents have been set where it has ended up in court. There was a, a, a previous uh, Caledonia class action lawsuit, oh, uh, 10 or 12 years ago for businesses and for residents who were affected by this, and that was uh, a successful class action lawsuit, and those who were affected uh, did receive compensation. And so what is the solution in your mind? I mean, you have been in that area for decades. You know the issue better than anywhere, but how do you get a solution um, where it's very, very difficult to get all sides at the table and then have those sides agree on anything? You know, we're at the stage now where I don't think anyone is will step forward and say, "Look, I've got the solution." They would be they would be laughed out of town. We have tried all sides. All sides of this issue have tried for 15 years to come up with solutions with resolution. Uh, there's been several years of failed negotiations. As far as any direction or solution or resolution, it really lies on our cherished institutions of government, of the court system, policing. These institutions have served us well for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. We, uh, so we have these, uh, these systems in place, and uh, we do operate under the rule of law. Everybody agrees uh, to our system of a very successful system that we operate under. And uh, if there's any solution at all, it just goes back to uh, to relying on uh, enforcing the rule of law. 
in a political climate, that's not always um, an easy thing to do. It takes real leadership. But at some point, you know, you have to think that those in Caledonia, including Indigenous groups that have lived very, very um, well alongside the residents of Caledonia, where you can find some kind of, of solution, let alone peace. Well, we all went to school together. We all worked together. Yeah. There's certainly, well, obviously, there's been contact for 300 years going back to uh uh, the American colonies, uh, so many of the families, part of my family, we were mm-hmm. we, lo- we lost the American Revolution. Uh, we were kicked out of the Mohawk Valley, as were uh, many, many proud families, indigenous uh, families. We all arrived in Ontario at about the same time in the late 1700s. Uh, land was made available, essentially, as United Empire Loyalists. Uh, my family were military. They weren't going to start cutting down trees. They weren't interested in that. You know, many were not interested in farming. So you sell it to somebody else. And that's what's gone mm-hmm. on for the last, uh, you know, since the late 1700s. The land that uh, was made available was sold off. And then finally, the administration uh, stepped in and uh, took over what was called Tuscarora Township. And about 50,000 acres, and that is presently the Six Nations uh, community. With with the rules are you can't sell any more of this land. Right. And so where does it go from here? You know, I feel that if if the law, I mean, the laws are there. The laws are adequate in my view. Perhaps they could be improved. We've certainly seen the, uh, in this past year, we've seen the shutdown of, Railroads, uh, roads, and uh, pipelines elsewhere in Canada under the shutdown Canada movement. Uh, mm-hmm. One response to that was found in Alberta, where they brought in Bill 1. About a year ago, Jason Kenney passed Bill 1, which upped the, uh, the penalties for that kind of uh, destructive behavior. And much of that was, again, as a result of the uh, Wet'suwet'en on the coastal gas link uh, pipeline yeah. project out west. So sure, you can tough up the penalties, but uh, the fact remains we still have the court system and uh, the present government, I'm a, I'm a Ford government uh, MPP, uh, we have taken a different approach than the previous government. We have, uh, we honor court orders we honor these injunctions coming from the uh, the judge with respect to the uh, developments in the last uh, six months to a year. So injunctions have been allowed to be served. Uh, injunctions were blocked, but the injunction was blocked by the McGinty government 15 years ago. Uh, so arrests have been made. Uh, uh, charges have been laid. I, I'm not clear uh who's paying fines, what the fines have been, or what the penalties have been. We know there's certainly been fundraising uh, to support those people who have broken the law and uh, have gone to court. So uh, much of it now would would be in the the court system, and I I would just assume that these uh, court orders will continue to be acted on. I guess time will tell. Mr. Barrett, appreciate your time on this. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, and uh, at some point we may not have to do these kinds of conversations anymore. That is the hope.
I appreciate it, sir. That is uh, Toby Barrett, who's the MPP for that particular area. And if you told me 15 years ago when I was a reporter on that uh, scene that we'd still be talking about it today, I'd have laughed and uh, laugh no more. Here on Point, this is Global News Radio. You, of course, can join us live starting 6.30 sharp Monday through Friday here on Point. Alex Pearson, this is Global News Radio.